Once upon a time, a wolf loved a rabbit. A rabbit loved a deer. A wolf also loved a deer, but as a friend, no homo. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Cherryton School Report, a Beastars podcast, presented by Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends. Yay! That was very Fozzy Bear. Tonight's special guest. It's time to play the music. It's time to. I was thinking it was more like Kermit Frog, but I was doing Fozzie Bear while doing Kermit the Frog. But if you're thinking about bears, there are no bears in this episode. (laughs) We're going to skip out on Riz for a bit and just hang out with some other characters. Yeah, we're 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 going to let's introduce some brand new characters in this one, huh? Uh, Brand new, but they've been around. I guess. But I have spent very little time thinking about Sheila. Unless you're. Talking about the lizard that gets his nads chopped off for someone's aphrodisiac. I, I, I don't know who the Kaiman is. It would be great to do like a crossover of uh, Kaiman and what was that show that's got uh, Kaiman? Oh, Doro Hedoro. Thank you, Doro Hedoro. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that show's good. Heck of a, heck of a, well, they have a second episode or a second season coming out, I think. Oh, anyway. I want to watch that. I really liked it. I just don't want to talk like extensively about it because I think it's 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 just fun to watch. It's not really I didn't I didn't think too much about its themes or its like deeper meaning, but I think there might be there's something there. Anyway, go on. Yeah, good show. Um this one starts off with one of those like classic B stars asides. <laughs> and it's one of my favorites, actually. You know how I loved the Legome stuff with her eggs yep. this is not quite on par with that but it deals with it It also plays into the themes of the season and that it deals with the cheetah sheila who we really haven't spent much time with since the first season and she is upset about being used as a prop in the photos of her herbivore classmates in the selfies and it's clear that she also wants something real and she goes to Juno for comfort, but Juno kind of is towing the line. She's like, that's how they want it. It's good for everyone to see herbi- herb- herbivores and carnivores together. And she tells us that there's such a thing as beast book. <laughs> it's true. I, this is my, I think this may not be the first time I've heard of beast book, but we haven't heard about it for a while. Well, there was Zoogle, I think. Or no, was, am I thinking of... Yeah, I think it was in Beastars, Zoogle. Or Zubal? It's just, it's their version of Google. Oh, Zoogle or something. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Beast Book. What is your status on Beast Book, Don? Uh, I am a late adopter. <laughs> that is, I don't have a profile yet on Beast Book. Oh, no. Uh, I think mine is um, take a bite out of crime. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll have to look you up then. <laughs> that for our listeners who are probably younger than that reference uh, refers to McGruff the Crime Dog. 
<laughs> which Thank was the you. way the way they got us to stop doing petty crimes when we were kids. <laughs> it was the deterrent. Help uh, take a bite out of crime. McGruff was the deterrent. He he was the, the thin blue line. <laughs> I'm glad I'm enjoying myself. I, I was going to say, you may be alone on this one. You don't remember McGruff the Crime Dog? I mean, I don't not remember McGruff the Crime Dog, but McGruff the Crime Dog did not have like a huge narrative arc here. McGruff the Crime Dog was like a like a shill for the cops. I mean, wasn't McGruff just like a, a Columbo riff? And he had like the probably he, he had, had the, the rainy I mean, trench the, coat. The trench coat. Yeah. The trench coat was a thing. Here's he was a Humphrey Humphrey Bogart kind of sounding guy. He's like, here's looking at you, kid. I mean, I we could look up old videos of McGruff the Crime Dog and what McGruff contributed or more likely did not for various <laughs> things. I loved him for years. He's a hound dog, so he sniffs out the clues. I've never actually seen him do any of this, but just from the drawing, you can tell that you're in good pause with McGruff the Crime Dog. But McGruff the Crime Dog is not in Beastars right now, but Sheila the Leopard is. Yes, and I love this story because it's about how she doesn't want to be a prop anymore, so she reaches out kind of aggressively to... And quite literally. To a a sheep, a, a sheep named Peach. At first, it's very awkward between them. Sheila is, is, has a tiny head. She's tall. She's lanky. She's she looks like boys thinks that she's a model, and uh, and Peach is very squat and small, but petite, cute, um, soft. She's softer. And at first, there's sort of like an uneasy sort of feeling as they go shopping together, but. Then they start revealing some of their like insecurities, like like things that they didn't that, that they didn't realize were challenges for the other side. So like the cheetah, which was my favorite moment, was when she was like, "Well, I can't wear prints because I am a print." <laughs> Only solids for me. And I also liked that, um, and that she's like, "Oh, you you're white. You can white goes with anything. You can wear anything, any kind of cute print." And then she starts shopping for her, and and uh, and Peach Except a scar. And Peach stops her, and she's like, "No, no, no! I can't wear polyester because it causes static shock." And she's like, "Oh yeah, because you're wool." <laughs> yeah, right? Oh. It's fun. This is a fun. I mean it. Yeah. And, no, they they do seem to be bonding. You're you're not wrong. And and it works. And and they they take a happy selfie together at the end. It's it's really nice. It's heartwarming. I mean, I wrote it's all about them bonding and shopping and like doing girl things. And like the it's it's the same thing that we see, you know, regular humans facing with the added tension, which is what this show does well of an extra layer of predator and prey going along with the same thing. Yeah. But this one ends happily in the way that, you know, they do appear to be friends. They do appear to be bonding and there doesn't appear to be any weird predator prey tension that interferes with the vibe yeah it's almost like they through their interactions they sort of strip away some of the labels you know predator prey um, tall short herbivore, carnivore right herbivore carnivore um and and end up on girl 
And that is also something that happens with Juno and Haru. At first, Juno's being kind of, you know, uh, aggressive and she sees Haru as a rival for Lagoshi's affections. But then eventually she sort of like has Haru, Haru just slaps that down and is like, no, no, let's not talk about Lagoshi or any of the boys right now. Let's just like be girls and talk to each other. I don't have any friends. Like I don't have any girlfriends. And, and they just sort of bond in their weird way. Because, I, I mean, there is all that stuff hanging between them. Absolutely. And she's trying to figure out what Lagoshi sees in Haru. I mean, this was a really weird, interesting segue. Or an interesting way to deepen the, the love triangle or love quadrangle or whatever you want to call it. Um, because Haru, Haru is charming juno and juno does feel she she starts to see that sort of like softness and vulnerability and why lagoshi would be um attracted to that because it's clear that juno is as well yeah and that's where that line gets weird i mean this is this is a i'm trying to understand because if you think more in a larger sense about the episodes, like the previous episode was the big reveal, but it was, it's really more about how do these different, how do carnivores and herbivores interact? It kind of gets back to some of the earlier episodes in season one, which sort of brought up this initial tension. And it really, it's a deepening of the universe again, which I think you very much like. I think what what this interaction between Haru and Juno shows us again is that there is this weird sexual component to how they how they portray the relationships between herbivores and carnivores because of the sort of like lustful meat like lo- the meat lust but in this case it also has it also shows you that they're showing the fragility and the and the delicate nature and the, and the, and, and that kind of, and what comes from the strength of being like weaker. The, the carnivores are big and they're made for rending meat and they're made for ch- like tearing it apart with their jaws. And the herbivores are, they eat, they eat grass, they have square teeth. They're, they're a little bit more, but the other thing is they talk about the strength of herbivores, like herbivores are the social ones. They're the pack animals, right? And so the the with this anthropomorphication of these creatures, the predators, and we'll leave aside pack animals like some lions, lion, the lions work in prides, the females do, the males actually tend to be more solo or just with each other. But the, the predators are feeling lonely and left out and they're con- like this whole B-star social network is challenging for them. And this is why those particular animals that bridge the gap that are appealing to both sides, like Juno, like if we go further back to Louie, you know, these, they are rare and they're very prized. Um, so the universe like reinforces itself and, and you can see this, this episode does a lot to, to sort of develop that, which is why in this episode, it, there's a couple things that I really wanted to highlight in this episode. One is that Juno was offered the role of Adler, um, which was Louis's old role. 
in the play. That's also a sexual role reversal. You know, um, previously, not only was Adler played by an herbivore, but Adler has only traditionally been played by males. But because Pina has joined the staff and he's not Adler, he's not an Adler, but he is the star, they've decided to make Pina the sort of like female side and Juno the male, which is a, is an interesting gender uh, role reversal, I thought. Yes, I, I thought it was interesting that the, that the show decided to go in that direction. But then also we get this sort of L's, um, L's and Bill uh, little interlude because, and we hadn't talked about this particular plot point, seemingly unrelated to um, Kibi losing his arm, the Beastars is moving to a carnivore-herbivore segregated campus. Okay, it's not seemingly unrelated though because they had an emergency meeting in which uh, parents complained the parent, the but prominent, have been complaining for the prominent parents That's... of herbivores said it's the last straw, and that they want, they want them to do something concrete about it this time. I, I don't think they've shown that in either the manga or the the anime, but I, I'm fairly certain that they talk about the fact that parents have complained, and you know, well, they talked about how other schools have been doing this for a long time. And this was one of the last schools that is not segregated. <laughs> Something we should and have known was, before this, honestly, but I, yeah, I feel like we should have, but I, I, it's weird to me. We didn't know this first of all. And then we're seeing all these herbivore carnivore interactions. And I think it's being thrust at us because it is supposed to show to me that this is a deepening of the community. And then you get, um, the students themselves are saying, hey, this is this is inappropriate or this is ridiculous because we're just going to graduate. And once we graduate, we move into a world that is not segregated. So you're only deepening conflicts that will then play out later. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, the point of the scene to me was that um, there there's a moment when Jun- Juno, it was it. I'm not sure, but. There's a moment where they explain that herbivores are more self-conscious about how they're perceived by others, but I don't think it rings true. I think that I think that the carnivores are extremely worried about how they're perceived by others and they want to be liked. They really do. And I think that's one of the big things they're trying to say in this episode is that the carnivores want to be liked and it's not easy to like a carnivore uh, because of their fearsome nature that everyone is constantly aware of um and here bill wants to be so liked that when he talks to else in that scene he's trying to say what he thinks she wants to hear he's trying to say the safe thing yeah he's trying to say it'll be fine you know this is this is good it's to help people like you and how does she take it? The exact opposite of what he thinks. Uh, she's pissed. And she's it's this this is where I thought I saw the strength of the herbivore of the herbivore, more so than with Haru or any of the others, where she said she has the power to say what she thinks. And what she says is that's bullshit. Um, you're a fucking like meat eating, you're secretly eating meat. You, you want to fuck me if I was a female tiger? 
<laughs> and uh, you're full of shit. But that's the, the beauty of joining a club at school is that you get to know the bad and the good. And we somehow did it. We we put on a show. Like it's like it's like an ad for like the theater. You know, like the the bringing together of different aspects and worlds and peoples like it this this little microcosm of the drama club is so much more important than we initially even thought because it's not only mixed but they all work together as sort of equals and to suddenly have bill like dismiss that idea is it it it, it rightfully infuriates her and he he immediately backtracks on it and he, yep, he, it's he true. recognizes. But what's interesting, you know, you, you talk about like, hey, you, using, of course, your trademark crude language um, that, you know, if he if she was a tiger, he'd fuck her. But it, it appears there is sexual tension anyhow, um, regardless of whether she is or is not a tiger. Yeah, I mean, in the I again, if you strip away. And it's hard to strip away it sometimes, the herbivore, the carnivore, the rich, the poor, all the things that define us and label us. You get down to man and woman or hole and stick or whatever you want to say. Like <laughs> That should go down as one of our classic quotes. Pheromone. Hole or stick. Pheromone and pheromone. And slightly different pheromone. You know, I'm trying to be politically correct, but basically... When you strip away all that, like our relationships can be very, can be brought down to a very basic level. I guess so. But there was a lot of making fun of Lagoshi when he was into a, an herbivore and was open about it. But here um, I did, there was more than a whiff of, of, um, of some sort of interest here in a way that I think was there, was not there for um, Tem uh, and uh, uh, Tim, <coughs> Tim and Riz. So I I thought that was interesting because Bill was one of the was one of the piles pi- people who piled on Lagoshi when the, he was just him and the carnivores chatting. Yeah, but we all know he's full of shit. So <laughs> that's true. Um, he's probably the least like reliable character, but he. He, he, they rightfully point out that he has been uh, a friend to the herbivores and he's been very protective of them. And that he should have been more confident in, in how important he is to them. Then let's talk about Lagoshi because this... Excellent. This is a good chance to talk about how he has completed one leg of his training and is on to the next. <laughs> this was so this was very curious. So he's he's out with um what's the name of our Gohin. Gohin. He's out with Gohin and they're observing some ravenous crazed hyena yeah. who who apparently is um you know hopped up on in this case red meat um or the bones of uh dead creatures. And uh, Gohin casually tosses Lagoshi off the roof after muzzling him uh, and tells him to take on uh, this uh, hopped-up hyena with really strong jaws. Meanwhile, Lagoshi is complaining about the fact that he can't even bite an apple nowadays. 
I personally was a little worried that uh, Lagoshi was about to get his butt kicked, but that did not happen. No. Um, instead of getting his butt kicked, Lagoshi. <laughs> First of all, the hyena does bite him, and his meat is so tough he can't get his teeth out. <laughs> he can't get his fangs out of Lagoshi's tough hide. Yeah, it's like biting taffy. And it seems like the hyena, until that point, had only preyed upon uh, herbivores. And as in the show's credit, it did recognize what you have been saying, that herbivores are extremely tough and designed to push away fangs. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but okay. I would agree that uh, herbivores are very tough. The exact words in this episode were that limbs developed to fight fangs. <laughs> so if we want to if we want to go that far, that's how far we should go. Oh, that's the text. I'm not sure I would take my biology lessons from Beast. That's stars, the text of the but, show we're we're talking about. Though. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm seeing only the English dub, so uh forgive me if my interpretation is uh slightly different than yours. Anyway, I did like the part where Lagoshi fell and was like, I'm not a cat, so I can't land on my feet. Be careful with me. (laughs) Well, I also like the fact that he slams the hyena's head into the wall in a mirroring of his own head being slammed into the wall in the prior episode. I forgot that. prior episode, but a few episodes by Riz. Yeah, no, that was, it's very similar. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, he's learning to fight in a new way. Or not learning, I guess. He's just sort of accessing some like new power that he has um, where he can transfer his biological energy from his jaw into his limbs just by willing it to be so. Uh, Part of his training, perhaps, I'm not sure. But he's able to easily uh, just destroy the hyena, as you said. You know, Lagoshi is... So he's seeming like a badass. I wonder if he'll ever get to or need to use his new badass. This was a weird turn for me because it takes Beastars, which is somewhat grounded in sort of like... I wouldn't say reality, but it's somewhat grounded in in the reality of that world with like gangs and a black market and a panda who helps, like, who tricks people and and takes them back to his lair and tries to rehabilitate them because of his own failings or whatever, or as a doctor, and he wants to be useful. And, like, all of that makes sense to me, but Lagoshi going, like, full Batman is is a weird bridge that I wasn't ready to cross at this time. Um... And it really is kind of a Batman, like, training. and (laughs) It does feel that way. Like a superhero. I agree with you. Well, I can't quite tell. I mean, I really cannot tell where the show is going with this. Like, we didn't didn't do anything with Riz in the last episode. So is he going to face off against Riz? That doesn't feel right either. Like, what? I don't know. And then, like... The romance with Haru has been put on the back burner because, meanwhile, Haru is spending more time with Juno in the in the gardening club. Um, yeah, talk about ships Juno... launching. 
<laughs> You're so but cute. Then, actually, so cute, we're going to circle back. You know, that brings us back to, you know, Juno tries to drop in a poison pill like, hey, you should uh, give your friend Louie a call. Um, is that how you saw that? I guess so. I didn't think of it that I way, mean, but it, it is possible. No, you're right. It's not because I don't think Juno is frustrated with Haru, but is not disingenuous enough to try to um, backstab or, or do so. Like she, she wants to win on her merits or, or not. I think she genuinely cares I, for Louis and, and, and Haru hasn't really, she knows that Louis concerned about Haru and Haru hasn't really been able to reach him. So I guess she was trying to suggest that just, just for Louis's sake that Haru connect with her since he had asked about her, but yes, I agree with you. And, <laughs> and yet when we cut to the end of the, this, the episode, we do get to see Louis. Yeah. And, there's this is a very weird scene. This is the weirdest scene of the the whole episode. Like you, you're right. We've got this Kaiman there who is <laughs> like he's got all this writing on him, and there's all these rats running around. And I was I was very confused. Maybe I was distracted. I was hungry. It was right before dinner, but like I didn't quite understand. Like he had some debts he needed to pay off. He had like a long history of debts. But he seemed fine. Like, had he not paid off any before? And then the solution here was, like, some old, what was it, a kangaroo? I couldn't even tell. Oh, I thought it was a goat. I thought it was supposed to mirror that goat we saw in the early episodes that was selling his fingers. Oh, maybe so. It's not the same goat, but it's supposed to mirror, like, the same sort of, like, the reversal again. Everything's reversing in this episode. But it was so weird because... That was like an herbivore, wasn't it? Like, either way. I mean, and then the goat's like, I want to be with my wife one more time. And they're like, all right, one genital cutting. I'm sorry. I guess surgery is way more. uh, Oh my God. I never even thought of that, dude. I had not considered that there was a transplant aspect to this. I thought it was almost like Chinese medicine where you grind it up and like. It becomes like a... No, and the reason I say that is because... Because I thought it might have been that way too. But then at the end, remember, Ibuki is showing Louis something on his arm. Fatigue recovery or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that... So wasn't that was also that leaning towards the Chinese medicine idea where... Um, Maybe so. I mean, either way, it's weird. Where Ibuki was trying, had a time in his life where he was so low, he had to sell. He wanted to sell some of his body. And Maybe. and I guess a lion's forearm is good for fatigue recovery. I couldn't. I could not understand what that, what we were supposed to understand from that. At first, like, I thought it was a gag, and then I saw the black line that goes around the outline of it. Like yeah. he was denoting like this part of the meat is for this. The whole thing was really weird. But that was about Ibuki sort of getting it, developing a deeper relationship with Louis, which was also weird. And I was Louis, meanwhile, watches this whole thing. And I'm not sure why. Like he doesn't he's not a kid. He doesn't want to be sheltered from it. He doesn't need Ibuki to protect him. But why does he here in the first place? Like, what is he overseeing? That's a good point. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's brokering anything. <laughs> nope. I, I was confused as to what 
we are supposed to take away from the scene aside from a deepening of Ibuki and Louis's relationship. I guess I guess maybe they were part of the deal and so they had to be there. But it didn't have to necessarily be Louis, but maybe he he insisted on being involved with any decisions or maybe he just needed to see it with his own eyes. I'm not really sure. I that's a good point. But it's not one I know yeah. how to answer. I don't know. I, I thought we needed to take that away. And then, of course, we needed to take away the fact that he not only did he refuse a call from um, Haru, he like ditches his phone entirely. Yeah, sort of like getting rid of his old life. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> I mean, it won't because that would just make for a very boring show. Right. I also still want to understand why the lions are... They, they they have installed Louis as their head, and Louis can certainly make tough decisions. But so what? <laughs> like I, I don't know where the the goal of having a B star is going to pay off for them. Oh, I mean, I think having an herbivore makes them more attractive to their herbivore like clients, and having a strong herbivore backed up by a bunch of lions is kind of the best of both worlds. But um, they originally were going to like lose him, right? They were going to like use his notoriety to gain trust and a foothold in, in the crime community. And then they were going to eat him. And then Ibuki said, no, you're not going to eat him. He's our boss. Cause he was starting to like him. Maybe he liked him from the beginning. It's hard to say. But uh, that was that was all for this episode. Um, over this week and last, I mean, the season is moving, but this is a weird one. Yeah, this is this is. But these were both really good episodes, and even though they were somewhat disjointed from each other, like one doesn't follow from the next. Uh, but in the larger context of the Beastars universe, it all makes sense. I just don't know where we're going. It's I genuinely do not know where we're going. It's like when I was watching Howl's Moving Castle, and I remember watching it and thinking, like, I really cannot tell what the next scene is going to do. Like, there's just no way <laughs> to predict what is going to happen in this movie. I was, it's sort of the same thing with Beastars. It's almost like the next thing that's going to happen is that Lagoshi and Riz, who've forgotten their beef, are just going to walk by each other one day and just be like, wait a sec. You're Teb's killer. And then they're just going to start going at it right there. And that'll be the end. That's that's the feeling you get from watching the way that they handled the reveal and sort of the aftermath of the reveal. Yeah. It, it's almost like Twin Peaks where you find out it's like the dad, Leland. And like, it doesn't immediately come to a head after finding that out. Like there's several episodes where they're just sort of, it's business as usual or there there's like new characters showing up. And I don't know, maybe it's not like that. I can't tie everything to David Lynch. Stop it. Stop looking at me that way. <laughs> well, since I didn't watch those, I was just waiting for you to peter out eventually, which you always do with your David Lynchian. No, I didn't. Uh, crazy no, theories. No, I didn't. I had <laughs> really strong ones recently about the fugue state, 
which is a word that I brought up again last episode. Anyway, I'm getting off the track. This has been a great episode, Don. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) It was my pleasure to be here every time, except like once. That's the problem is you missed that one time. So I can lord that over you forever until I miss one. It's true. Oh, I'm curious to see how I'm going to do this without you one day. Well, you're going to have to figure it out. Maybe uh, Pinafore, <laughs> a brand new format, live, Okushina podcast live from Chicago. Live, it's Okushina podcast night. Anyway, thank you. With your special <laughs> guest. <laughs> Who's a famous, oh, Kanye, there you go. I if we had a Kanye episode, it would be lit. It would. It would very much be. I wonder if he watches B Stars. He seems like he could get into something weird like that. Something like So it's not just weird. That's the thing about the show. It's not just weird. It's like it it seems to have a lot to say, and the stuff it says is interesting. It's constantly interesting. And because it's not a one-to-one uh metaphor for race relations or stuff like that because it has that added layer of animal world it is its own thing it is sometimes just on another planet and i love it thank you all for listening if you want to reach out to us ask us a question we skipped them this week but if you ask us a question we'll bring it back and you have to write to us at Okashina Podcast. That's O-K-S-H-I-N-A Podcast on Twitter. And we'll see you next time. Beast off. <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought it was on. You almost got it. Hey, Raven. What's up, Fantast? Do you like anime? I sure do. Do you have a limited amount of time in your schedule due to demands of capitalism? Unfortunately, yes! Well, I have the show for you. It's called Weebkin Warriors. Oh yeah! It's that podcast where you and I come together every Thursday and talk about anime that are 24 episodes or less. That's right! And you can find us on the Orange Girls Podcast Network or your podcatcher of choice. Have Have a good good weekend. weekend!